This is Brett Stewart, and you are listening to a special report from the Jukebox. Now, this is following the other special report that we put out this week, uh, where I joined Wolf King Studios to do a live broadcast of the Jukebox to support ASAN, which is uh, an autism uh, nonprofit that's doing some really fantastic work. So what I wanted to do with this special report, and this is prefacing the main show, which is going to come out tomorrow on the 25th is I wanted to expand a bit on one of the discussion topics from yesterday's uh, show, from the live show, the one that was on the feed yesterday for the ASAN charity event. Because we only had about an hour on the air to go through the music and talk because the event had 24 hours worth of podcasters doing stuff and I was allotted to a specific amount of time by the marathon. Now, one of the topics that we got into, and I got two emails on this. Uh, One of them was from someone who listened live in the morning when it was aired last week, and then I got an email this evening from someone who listened to it when it hit the feed. And they wanted me to expand upon my pretty heavy criticism of I Saw the Light. Now, I Saw the Light uh, is the new biopic on Hank Williams. It is directed by Mark Abraham. Uh, He does not have He's got an interesting uh, repertoire of films that include uh, 2014's RoboCop, 2011 In Time, the movie with Justin Timberlake, uh, 2013 The Exorcism movie, uh, The Thing from 2011. Uh, The one thing that most of these things have in common is they don't really break more than about 35-40% if they're lucky on Rotten Tomato. Uh, Rotten Tomato is an aggregation of critical and fan reviews. Now, I Saw the Light is treading some some deeper water. Uh, They're treading about 19%, which is one star. Uh, And that's an accumulation of over 100 critical reviews and uh, 2,600 audience goers. So why is it so bad? Uh, Why is... uh, Hank Williams is wonderful. Who doesn't love Hank Williams? What What is it about this film that made it a bad movie, a bad musical endeavor. Now, I'm going to attempt to get into this a little bit today. Uh, I want to put it out there that this uh, discussion, this one mic discussion, is going to be followed up by an interview that was conducted a little while ago with Robert Taylor of Plectone, one of our uh, just superb sponsors who have who have been so uh, instrumental in the creation of the jukebox over the last six months or so, and uh, we're so excited to continue to bring their wonderful products to the forefront. Uh, They are worth supporting. As I've said time and time again, I use their products. They're an advertiser, uh, a sponsor that we are very fortunate to have because I believe in them. I wouldn't have them on the show if I didn't, but we're going to get to that later. Let's talk about I Saw the Light. Why is it a bad film? Uh, It's a bad film, and I briefly touched about this on the, the show with ASAN. Because it's very, very surface level. When Mark Abraham wrote this film, uh, he touched on all the inner demons of Hank Williams. So we're talking about 
uh, the misogyny and the domestic problems and the cheating uh, and the, you know the two different marriages and three different women and children out of wedlock uh, and the alcoholism and the endless frustration within his marital affairs through the alcoholism and all of these things attempt to be deep. They attempt to strike at some sort of meaningful notion on Hank Williams and his career. But they don't really do that. Instead, they just have this very surface-level analysis of him as a person that makes him just come off as a jackass. Uh, And that's really unfortunate. Because, yes, Hank Williams was plagued by all of these inner devils. But we all are. Every single one of us has this in their lives. And to bring Hank Williams down to a two-dimensional caricature of all of those issues really did not do him justice. Now, this lies entirely, at least I believe, within Mark Abraham's direction and writing of the film. Tom Hilston does a phenomenal job as Hank Williams. For a British guy, he can really put on one heck of a uh, Southern American accent and pull off uh, a dang good Hank Williams. That's not the problem with the film. I mean, hey, uh, Tom Hiddleston is one of the best parts of the film. Now, I had the opportunity to see this film a couple days before it came out, and I had the wonderful opportunity to see Mark Abraham and Tom Hiddleston come out in front of the crowd. I was five feet in front of them, first row, uh, answer, do a Q&A. Now, the Q&A brought a couple interesting things to my attention, and I want to address these things because, yes, I am hitting pretty hard on this movie. Uh, it's probably worth the one star out there. As I said on yesterday's show, it's worth checking out the soundtrack more than the actual film because Tom Hiddleston really does a superb job in uh, capturing Hank Williams. So when they got up on stage, there's a couple interesting questions that were thrown out there, and I don't want to rehash what I did on an earlier show. But one of them was, uh, you know, how do you work within the box of being a creative artist interpreting real history? And Tom Hilston had a had a really excellent analysis of this, where he said, after I put on this, the clothes, and after I put on the voice, and after I get in the persona, then I can figure out how Hank Williams will swat a fly. Because that is his creative license within that, because that's not something that a book can tell him. Then Mark Abraham came out and said, we wanted to do something different with this film. We wanted to, we did not want to go from cradle to the grave. We didn't want to do it like Walk the Line did it. We didn't want to do it where uh, Ray did it. We wanted to only focus on this very select period of Hank Williams' life. Really just about seven or eight years when he was popular. I think this was a good decision. And I think uh, it was an interesting way to approach the biopic. Especially because there's not necessarily anything terribly interesting in Hank Williams' life that happens beforehand that is a catalyst for the things he did later in his career. When you have a film like Ray, you have to show a young uh, Ray Charles becoming blinded. When you have a film like Walk the Line, you have to show a young Johnny Cash uh, witnessing his brother's horrible, tragic death. You have to have those things. But with Hank Williams, you can start. You can start when he's 21. I understand that. That wasn't the problem with the film either. The problem with the film is that you had these phenomenal songs. Because Hank Williams, like him or hate him, uh, 
and write in if you hate them or write in if you love them because I jukeboxpodcast at gmail.com because I'd be really interested if there's someone out there who just hates Hank Williams, in which case they probably already turned this podcast off. Um, I would be really interested. One of the one of the things about it was when you have these phenomenal songs, there has to be a context for these songs. When Hank Williams is writing these phenomenal, phenomenal songs, the, one of the greatest American songwriters, you got to add context into his life. Here's why he's writing songs like this. You got to have that stuff. And the film attempts to do this because Hank Williams had an alternate persona, uh, Luke the Drifter, that he put out records uh, under the name, and it was spoken poetry, really dark, moody stuff. And this was the, the raw side, you know, the dark side of Hank Williams. And the film attempts to do this. Uh, perhaps the greatest scene in the film is Hiddleston, drunk, uh, out of his mind, stumbles up on stage because a concert promoter makes him show up three hours late. He's got to play for this picnic. He's standing up there. He looks out at the picnic, dead eyes on the crowd, and goes into a Luke the Drifter monologue, uh, which is some of the darkest, um, most depressing stuff. Uh, it's probably the greatest scene in the movie, and it's one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen Hiddleston act. But then there's no context for it. The audience, if you don't know who Hank Williams is and you don't understand his life, you're sitting there saying, well, why is he, you know, uh, murmuring spoken poetry off into a crowd? What is the context here? And that's the problem with I Saw the Light, is they look at Hank Williams as a two-dimensional caricature of who he really was. They didn't add the joys in his life. They didn't really add the depth of his character, why he was writing these songs, the kind of person he really, really was. And instead, the film looks on uh, him, uh, you know, tur- you know, hurtling through missed uh, relationships and turmoil and doesn't focus on anything else. And as a result, it turns into a two-hour-plus uh, merry-go-round of Hank Williams gets drunk, uh, cheats on his current wife, gets drunk, finds a new young woman, uh, cheats on his wife with her, wife gets angry, breaks up, uh, new young woman becomes wife, cycle repeats. And yeah, that happened in his life. But you got to have some context as to who the man was. That is what Walk the Line did so well. You didn't walk out of Walk of the Lion, or you didn't walk out of Ray. Like, yes, you know, they, they, both of those men had their demons. You know, in Ray, Jamie Foxx is, he, you know, Ray Charles would do that thing where he would, uh, he'd grab his, you know, he, when he would meet a woman, he'd put his hand around her wrist and he would size up her wrist and then he could tell if she was, uh, if she was skinny or, 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 or bigger, and, and that's how he would determine who, who he was going after. Uh, and that was an inner demon of, of Ray Charles and all of his backup singers, and, uh, and the film showed that. And then with Walk the Line, we went through Johnny Cash's drug issues, and we went through his turmoil of trying to wrangle June Carter Cash and, 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 and uh, get her into his life, and, and she was the one ultimately who squared him, right? In the movie, she, she squares him. And she gets his life on track. Much like in real life. That's what happened. But throughout both of those films, Ray and Walk the Line, we have a deeper context to their characters. We understand why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, we have some history uh, as to their motivations. 
And then their triumphs and their failures mean more to us as an audience. And I think that's something very important to take away from I Saw the Light. Because what really disappoints me are a couple things. Uh, This is a Mark Abraham film, and as I mentioned off the top of the bat, he's never quite proven to be a phenomenal director. So uh, I was hoping that this would be his chance to shine outside of RoboCop and The Exorcism. It wasn't. I'm very disappointed Hiddleston got wrangled up in this. It was a bad script, and he's a phenomenal actor. If you want to go see Hiddleston in his prime, then you need to go watch... Uh, Crimson Peak, you need to go watch uh, The Night Manager, which is now airing on AMC here in America. It aired on BBC last year to nothing but critical laud and praise. Um, Go see those if you want to see him in a role ridden well, because he's a phenomenal actor. Very, very good. He could could even be the next James Bond, but that's a whole other argument, and I don't even think he should be, but I digress. Uh, He's a very good actor, and he pulls off the part very well. The problem is the script. And if you don't have a good script, you don't have anything. And what really pains me is I wanted to see a good Hank Williams biopic. But you're not going to have that now for a long time. They're not going to retackle that for a very long time. Especially because his family is so divisive about whether or not they liked it. Everyone in his family has either come out and said they hated it, or Holly Williams, his, you know, his granddaughter came out and said, yeah, it's pretty good. His son hates it. (laughs) Uh, His grandson, I'm pretty sure, came out against it. I'm pretty sure the only one of them that actually had something positive to say was Holly. And Holly's the sweetest woman on earth. I've met her, and she is just a ray of sunshine. I met her after a Mavis Staples... No, not Mavis Staples. Uh, Goodness. Who did I meet, Holly? (laughs) This is podcasting at its absolute... Uh, finest. I met Holly Williams before one of her shows when she was opening for John Hyatt. John Hyatt, the guy who wrote uh, Riding with the King. And she's the nicest woman on earth, and she's so talented, and uh, she likes the film. She's his granddaughter. So, you know what? Go see it. Well, maybe don't go see it. Don't waste your money. Wait till it comes out on Netflix. Wait till you can rent it on Amazon for $3. And then uh, see if you like it. If you're in, Let me know. If you've already seen it, if you're going to go see it, email me. I'd love to hear about it. I decided to talk about it here on the Jukebox because it is a musical thing. Uh, I think it's very interesting, the failure or success of films like this, especially because when we hear so many artists here on the Jukebox who are clearly inspired by Bob Dylan or Johnny Cash or um, or Waylon Jennings uh, or Merle Haggard, God rest his soul, um, it all traces back to people like Hank, if not just Hank, period, right? Hank is the root of so much American music and so much music outside of America as well nowadays. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Please email me if you liked it or hated it or uh, liked or hate what I had to say about it. Maybe you loved it. Uh, most people aren't, though. We're going to talk about Plectone now. Uh, stay tuned. All right. 
Hi, you are listening to the Jukebox Podcast, and I am sitting down with Robert Taylor. He is the founder and creator of the Plectone Pick, which is our sponsor here on the show. You've probably heard me talk about them in the past. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and, and talk about your product. Oh, thanks, Brett. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your audience. Absolutely, because I talk about the Plectone every month, and it's a product I really enjoy and I personally use. And what I've told you and what I've told our audience is that the number one uh, concern for me as taking on any sponsor with the jukebox is that I want our sponsor to have a direct correlation to the audience and have something that is actually meaningful that we can back, that we support. And Plectone is something that I use as a musician and I back it and I spread it around and I tell people about it. So we're very happy that you should, that we can partner with you here on the show because it's a great product. So, well, thanks. Thanks. Oh, my Uh, pleasure. Yeah. First of all, thanks for being the customer. This is kind of fun. It's uh, it's certainly a a different uh, concept. Uh, that that we that we're enjoying uh, here in, in New Mexico, and uh, it's, it's it's such a hoot to have people from all over the country uh, trying out the Flectone and enjoying it. So um, absolutely, yeah, it's great. So what we're I'd honored. like to do is I'd like to break this this interview piece down into three pieces, so we can talk about the past, the present, and the future of your wow. your history and what you've done with Plectone. So first of all, you designed Plectone because you use you yourself are a musician, correct? Yes, yeah, I've I've been playing uh, guitar since I was seven. <laughs> uh, not necessarily evidenced by my skill level, um, but definitely <laughs> has been a. A part of, of my life. Music has been a part of my life, and uh, you know, since since I was a kid. And uh, I grew up in a musical family. I'm the tenth of twelve kids, believe it or not. And uh, grew up on a ranch in northern New Mexico. And uh, we had lots of uh, interesting adventures. But we all had guitars. I mean, we, we played often, and uh, we, we would sing, you know, in weddings and things of that nature. So yeah, so music's always been a really important part of of uh, of my life. So. so were your parents musical too, and then they pass that down to all the kids? To, to some degree, to some degree, uh, but uh, I, I think the older kids set the pace for the guitar, especially. And um, and of course, my dad plays the guitar, and my mom sings beautifully. Um, so yeah, in church and things like that, we we were exposed to music, and I, I went to uh, Catholic school, and uh, we were in choir and things of that nature. So yeah, it, it's always been an important part of. Of, of of growing up, uh, although I got to say my first instrument uh, was uh, was not a guitar. It was the letter S Encyclopedia. Um, uh, <laughs> the story goes, and I remember this actually. It, it's one of my first memories. Um, my uh, family was playing, singing, doing whatever they were doing, and uh, I started pounding on the encyclopedia, trying to keep beat. And everyone stopped and stared at me. And this is when I was cute, right? When you're little, you're cute. I, not so much anymore. <laughs> but uh, uh, they they stopped and they laughed, right? But I interpreted it as uh, they were making fun of me. So I went out of the room crying. And uh, my oldest brother came back in and said, Rob, you know, uh, that was really amazing. You ought to come in and play. And so I took my encyclopedia back into the room and I started pounding on it. And that was sort of my first instrumental. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of strange, but no, we we uh, we definitely have had fun growing up. So. Well, that's interesting because when you talk to a lot of people, a lot of people get their musical upbringing in some capacity in some sort of church, whether that be a Baptist church, a Catholic church, any sort, anything yeah. like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when you hear interviews of 
people like Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page says the place that he fell in love with music was in the church. That's kind of an upbringing for a lot of people, myself included. That was a great way to get involved in music growing up. So as you got older, what inspired you? Because first of all, you went to to school. You have two masters from MIT. And what are those masters in? Uh, Mechanical engineering and technology policy. Uh, So it's sort of a quasi-business degree uh, with an emphasis and, and, and uh, you know, and on the technical side. They, they basically took a bunch of engineers and they taught them how to, uh, 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 basically how to look at economics, public policy, things like that. So, sure. Yeah, so. so you, you got out of school and what, what is, I mean, ultimately in your, into your adult life, what has inspired you to make a guitar product? Well, the the product itself it sort of stands on its own. It, it was an idea that that uh, it was a eureka moment for me. Um, but like all eureka moments, uh, the idea is one thing; uh, executing it and making it functional is another. And um, so it's taken me several years to to uh, really figure out not only the kinks, but but interestingly enough, figure out exactly what makes it work. Now it's it's, it's um, you know, there, there's elements to to uh, to having to strike a string twice, and you know the, the the energy pulse that goes into the strings, and and the timing of the first and second strike, and all of those things uh, happened after uh, the original idea came to me, and um, and uh, so uh, uh, yeah, so it's it's been it's definitely has been a process, um, and uh, you know even through today, uh, feedback from customers, um, for example. They'll, they'll say, well, you know, can you do this or can you do that? And, of course, we'll experiment here and, um, and see if it works. And, you know, we, we definitely uh, are, uh, are open to ideas. Uh, in the end, we're all just experimenters anyway, right, whether it's music directly sure. or whether it's on devices that help us make music better. So, so one thing I want to do – I'm not do... sure if I answered that. No, you did Sorry. wonderfully. And one thing I'd like to do is I'd like to explain – what I think the plectone is, and then you explain what you think it is. Because I, I, as I've been explaining on the show, my impression of the plectone, so everyone knows right off the bat what we're talking about, is that it's a double pulse, it's a double strike pick, it's, a sex, it's, it's essentially a uh, two picks that are combined by a firm but, but, but also malleable type of gel in the middle and as a result those picks hit the strings independently and create a much fuller perhaps even a chorus like sound that you may get with a 12 string or something how would you describe your product because that's my layman terms description of what it is well no that's great no 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 that's that's perfectly fine well the idea was was a fairly simple one um if one pick works really well can you and you know you using a single pick you can strike a string multiple times rapidly you know, for different styles and things like that. So the concept of striking a string rapidly is is something we all do uh, from time to time when we use a pick. Um, I was wondering whether you could actually create a a uh, a double pulse effect um, when doing strumming, for example, where you're not focused on on doing uh, you know rapid uh, tremolo types of of, of notes and. Um, and so it was that simple, really. Um, it was, I wonder if it would work. And so I did. I tried uh, early materials, and uh, I tried different kinds of materials, and I studied it typical geek fashion. And um, and what we settled on, though, was the idea that, and this is something that happened um, literally the first day that I, I thought of the idea, and, and I, I said, well, you know, how does a single pick work, right? How does, how does the... How does the 
the pick fit within the construct of the human hand itself, you know, the thumb and forefinger. And what does that system look like? And, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not just uh, metal pieces clamped together. It's it's soft flesh, fingers, and uh, thumb and forefinger. And you have this uh, this plastic uh, or this yeah this plastic pick moving into the moving uh, between this sort of really complex system. You know the fingers have the the internal bone structure as well, and that's the actual experience of a pick. And so I, I early on I said, well, if we're going to do two picks, we're going to have to cre- recreate or mimic how a finger holds pick in the first place. In other words, it can't just be a, a rigid piece of metal. Um, and uh, and so that was the beginnings of, of what not, what I now call the biomimetic solution to the double pick question. And and that is is that um, um, our coupler, which is what we have our uh, patent on, um, it essentially mimics the structure of the human finger. So it allows each of the picks to have its own independent suspension. And so when it encounters when the first pick encounters the string, it does like a normal pick does. Um, and the second pick, interestingly enough, um, uh, is, is free to vibrate separately. So when it encounters an already vibrating string, it isn't rigid enough, it, it isn't too rigid that it dampens, completely dampens that string that's already vibrating. Instead, it begins to vibrate with the string because of the independent suspension. So when it adds that second energy pulse, um, it, it, it gives it a really good effect. Right, and yeah. so the way I like to the way I like to equate the the, the second pulse uh, to is if you can imagine a perfectly still pond and you throw a rock into it, and then you take a, uh, a second stone and you throw a second rock nearby, and you have the the complementary or the or, you know the complementary ripples interlaced as it goes to the surface of the water, uh, what you get is a shimmering effect, um, and. I'm having to use these terms because a lot of the, 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 the really minute dynamics and stuff we're still considering and, and investigating. But what I like to say is that it creates a shimmer effect because you do indeed do you you indeed uh, put two energy pulses on that string. And if you'll notice in some of the slow motion videos that we have posted, that first energy pulse from the first pick has time to travel once down the string to the to the uh, front of the neck or the, the top of the neck and then back down and when that energy pulse is coming back down is when that that second pick is striking so it isn't in some sense it isn't dampening as much as it is um, just encountering that single energy pulse so it, the time constants are, are different right it's not um, uh, it, it's harder to uh, to describe it really but it's uh, I'm losing my train of thinking Brett, so we'll have to Okay, but so the, so to kind of go back and, and bring us on, that was great though, that really does explain it much better, is that you've mentioned to me that people essentially, at least in theory, it isn't uh, one pick, it's, uh, it's two picks that operate independently that just happen to hold like one pick. Is that, is that a fair, a fair mm-hmm. analysis? That is right. That's right. I, the way I looked at uh, developing the product, I wanted something that people would recognize, that it was in some ways novel, new, um, but in other ways it was still something they're familiar with. Because I, I didn't want people to, to have to leap too far uh, in terms of functional uh, functionality. I wanted people to, to recognize that what you're actually using is a standard guitar pick. In this case, we uh, we have uh, Dunlop Tortex picks for our current product. And... Um, yeah, so the picks are, are 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 
our, our normal off-the-shelf picks. And um, the fact that they are usable now in unison, or nearly simultaneously, one right after the other, uh, is the novelty. Um, and and that's, that's, that's what makes it fun. Functionally, sure. though, um, uh, because the, uh, the coupler itself is, quote, biomimetic, it actually has a real natural feel to it. So when you hold it, you think you're going to be uh, feeling a very awkward instrument or awkward tool. But in fact, because it's, it's uh, soft and flesh-like, if you will, and you do have that internal uh, uh, metal core, which functions as a human finger bone, it actually feels pretty intuitive. Um, and so, and you, you, we described this. Before, you described that to me before, Brett, when we talked. Um, uh, it has, it's actually pretty easy to use out, out, out of the box. Very and, easy um, because it's a daunting yeah. product to some people. Some people look at it and say, yeah. "Oh, that's going to be difficult to play, or that's going to be hard to play." But as soon as you get at yeah. it, it's very easy. Yes, yeah, and 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 that's been the funnest part for me because when you design products, you, of course, you, you want it to be novel and you want. You know, you want it to be exciting, but on the other hand, you you want it to be something that people can use quickly and enjoy quickly. Um, now, there's all sorts of variations that one can do to the concept, but I wanted this first one to be pretty straightforward. You know, someone can take the the button. You know, they can it, it holds like a pick. It looks like a pick pretty much, and um, and you start strumming and playing chords, for example, and you can immediately hear uh, some of these quote shimmering tones. Now. Um, People have described these tones as being 12-string-like, and I've been uh, beat up a little bit in social media that, in fact, the dynamics are not a 12-string dynamic, and that's absolutely true. You're in the end of this whole thing. You're still uh, just vibrating six strings. But um, the the fatness of the sound, though, comes from that initial attack and uh, the fact that you're doing it twice uh, within a strum or within, you know, within a, a, a riff or whatever sure. uh, is, what, is what adds that little extra volume and, and energy. And uh, that's the tone that, that uh, people describe as being 12-string-esque. Because I could see, I understand where some people say, oh, well, you're not technically creating a 12-string sound. You're vibrating six strings and making them sound a different way. And that's mm-hmm. technically true. But as we've talked mm-hmm. about before, I do use my, my plectone. Excuse me. I do use my plectone when I want to create kind of a twelve-string sound. My one of my yeah. favorite songs to play at gigs is Neil Young's Thrasher, and that's a twelve-string okay. song, and that is iconic to the twelve-string. But I don't always have a twelve-string with me, so I just pull out my plectone, and that moves the guitar enough in that direction to kind of mimic that sound enough to have that kind of Great. sound. And I do it a lot today, for example. I just recently got a new guitar about two days ago, and I oh, say good. and I say new in in the sense of it's new to me. It's it's a forty year old mm. guitar. It's one of those old oh. harmony plectone. It's one of those <laughs> harmony uh, Stella guitars from the early seventies that wow. is really uh, and it's in good condition. It's pretty beat up, but it's a great beat around guitar, and it's great to go run sure. around the city. And today I just got it fixed up, and I picked it up, and I came home literally about a half hour ago and I was playing it and I said well what if I play my plectone on this and I played my plectone on it and it sounds so much better than (laughs) my normal pick so much better and I think the reasoning behind that is that it's a very stiff guitar it has higher action it sounds kind of tinny you know it's kind of that old delta blues type style so it's not very loud uh, kind of not too much timber to the sound but when I hit it with the plectone the 
the sound that comes out of it is unparalleled in comparison to the tiny little pick I was using beforehand. So there's all different new ways for this pick. And as we've also talked about, Pete, you're finding that uh, fatigue levels are going down while using it. Uh, There's been user reviews of children saying that maybe it's easier for (laughs) them to hold, which I thought was wild and obviously not what you intended, but glad it worked out like that. So sure, me too. <laughs> there's all different things. Wouldn't you agree that this plectone has the opportunity to do? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that that there's there's all these different elements to to uh people's experiences uh that have surprised me. Yeah. Um and uh, we're quite pleased the the fatigue stuff that you mentioned uh was was really fascinating to me. And I guess in, in retrospect it it makes sense that um because you have a cushion between the two picks that it, it dampens things out and also, that um, um, the, the fact that you're not having to have your thumb and forefinger essentially uh, closed completely, but there's a bit of a gap there that it's perhaps maybe easier to, to grip. Um, all of those sure. things are really fascinating. And um, honestly, didn't uh, some of these things sort of have crept up from, uh, from, my cust- from the customers uh, of the product. And it's, it's just crazy cool, really. Um, not only the fact that people actually like using the plectum, but the fact that um, all of these neat elements that I hadn't even thought of are, are coming out, you know, just by the sheer number of people experimenting with it. So, Absolutely. Uh, it's quite cool. As far as the, little, the, the, young, the youngins, uh, uh, you know, the young folk learning to play, or anyone who's starting out and playing the guitar, I think it's great that, that folks are liking it for that, for that reason. Um, uh, you know, certainly um, younger guitarists uh, will be more... Uh, sort of accepting of, of, of the product only because they don't have uh, a, you know tr- a traditional way of approaching uh, using guitar picks, I guess. But um, that is that isn't to say though that the people who have been playing for for a long time can't uh, use it and enjoy it as well. But no, it's it's very interesting, and I'm I, I got to say I'm a little humbled by it because it's one thing to to spend your your days uh, inventing and you know designing something and and in the end it's kind of like doing a performance for the first time you you get up on stage and you don't know whether the audience is going to like it right you might get food sure. off stage or you're maybe you can't sing in tune <laughs> I don't know and there's an admirable oh sorry go ahead no no go, go ahead I'm sorry Chris. I was just going to say it's an there's an admirable aspect of it where where it's not just a it's you know first of all it's not a gimmick it actually does work but second of all it's not just your typical uh, music accessory it's making music more accessible for the people mm-hmm. who are playing it whether that be making your guitar louder making it sound different maybe it's easier to hold for a kid maybe it's reducing the fatigue right. so it it's more multifaceted than your typical guitar product right 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 and and for me bottom line I I, I did it originally because it was fun. It was sure. something new. It was a novel. Um, the sound is cool. Um, I, I love I love the double pulse concept, um, and um, and yeah. So I mean, you know, while while we're on the planet surface, might as well have fun with with the music, and uh, and that's that's the spirit behind uh, the, the design of this thing. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. So to move, we've talked about the plectone, we've talked about your upbringing, what kind of brought you to the plectone. I now want to talk about the future of the product because you're going to be very, very shortly, by the time this is out, you're going to be unrolling a newer version of the plectone. So why don't you talk about that? Yes, well, um, uh, we we, uh, added some production capacity. We have the ability to... Uh, to produce uh, the plectone with a with a slightly firmer uh, uh, 
material, and that firmer material is providing some stability uh, 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 stability elements that that uh, that customers have really, the, at least the testers have really loved. And so we decided to go ahead and roll out the next version of the plectone with this new material. And uh, so that production started today, actually, literally today. And, Wonderful. Um, and so we're really excited about it, and uh, we're, we're we're hoping that. Uh, Folks will like it as well. It's it's actually fairly close functionally to what's already out there, but it has a, a different look to it, um, and um, and functionally it, it it's just gorgeous. I mean, you you, uh, you 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 definitely enjoy the tone. So. And the key to this product is that uh, it's a labor of love for you. You know, people should know that yes. that before this, you know, even before this manufacturing, you were essentially putting these together by hand. And uh, yes. it's a labor of love on your part. It's not coming out of a massive organization that's just pumping out products and seeing what sticks. It's something that you as an engineer have created because you thought it would be fun. You thought it'd be interesting. And uh, it's a product that, that you're pushing forward prom- uh, predominantly. Yes, yes, that's that's right. Um, uh, uh, it is it is a we're, we're a small company in, in New Mexico, and um, we we've had to uh, you know people familiar with uh, that uh, television show, The Shark Tank. You know, you you have the startup phase of, of any project, and and so we've sort of gone through that process, but it has been homegrown. Um, and now that we uh, started uh, reaching out to the, the market in the U.S. and now internationally, it turns out, um, you know, things are certainly growing. But uh, but it is definitely uh, something that uh, that emerged out of, uh, as you say, a labor of love and uh, very much a family business. Um, yeah. So uh, so we're we're literally in in the growth phase of, of the company now, and. Um, we'll see how it's received in some of these other markets uh, outside of the United States. Lots of interest, but uh, you know we we wanted to focus in on the U.S. early on, and uh, and you know sort of uh, uh, you know practice and if you will practice learning how to make fix right, and uh, and learning how to take care of the customers and you know learning all all of these elements to to customer service that um, that either you know or you don't know. Um, it's something that that you know we're having to to learn in real time, and um, some of it is very fascinating and quite fun. Um, customers have been absolutely great, and you know we're very we're very glad to uh, to help in any way we can if people have questions and stuff like that. So. Um. Well, so, when yeah. people are looking all, at all that, I they can go on over to plectone.com in case people don't know how it's spelled. It's just P-L-E-C-T-O-N-E.com, and they can find a bunch of info. They can find these videos that we've been talking about where you show the versions between one-pick strumming and two-pick strumming, and they're, yes. they're taken with a slow-motion camera. People can pick them up on your website, pay via PayPal. Yes. If they do have Amazon, they can also do that. They should absolutely... Yes. And this is this is just me talking, but you, one of the wonderful things about Plectone is, as for men, as aforementioned, you're promoting and you're helping a small business and a really cool product get off the ground. So part of that is if you like this product, and I'm talking to the listeners now, uh, go you know go on Amazon, go on Plectone, let them know. There's a feedback email on Plectone. You can leave reviews on Amazon. You know, honestly, you know, let Plectone know how these picks are doing for you. And Ro- and you know, Robert is so helpful. So if you need anything from them, just shoot them an email. And and this is a product that is worth 
if you enjoy it, it's worth going on Amazon and leaving that review because that's how you build a small business like this and that's how you build a reputation that something like Plectone so full-heartedly deserves. Um, Well, thanks for it. Oh, absolutely. So they can also find you guys on Facebook. They can find you on YouTube. All that stuff is at Plectone.com. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about with the pick or anything that you guys are working on? Um, I would like to mention that um, that we will start offering uh, the Plectone in in, uh, in in different gauges. Right now, we're using the 0.5 millimeter uh, Tortex, uh, but we're thinking of also going with the uh, the the Altec uh, 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 pick as well. Um, Dunlop's Altec pick, which I think is 0.6. The point being is that we're going to start offering a variety of gauges, um, and also uh, we will be uh, uh, experimenting and testing out in different segments of the market um, various uh, cross sections of the of the internal pivot, uh, which adds a little bit more flexibility or less stability, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. So, uh, in the coming months and years, uh, we'll be offering a variety of, of variations of both the gauge and the and the internal structure of the device, um, uh, and see if people uh, get a kick out of it or not. So, yeah, so there's cool. lots of work to be done. <laughs> Lots of work to be done. Well, again, people can find that at Plectone.com. Go buy yours now. It is very, very much worth your time. Thank you, uh, Robert, so much for taking the time to talk with me about this pick. We're so happy to be par- partnered Thanks, with you sir. guys. And this is a product that's not just an ad on the show. It's something we want people to use because we really believe in it. And, uh, Brett, thanks, thanks, Brett, for the kind words. Oh, absolutely. And I was trying to think because with all of our interviews, we like to play something else to create a little bit more of a program. And I was thinking about what I wanted to do for this. And I've decided that what's going to air right after this, everybody, is you're going to hear a Plectone demo that I, that essentially I've put together. So it's not associated with Plectone, but hopefully you guys get a good sound of it because I'm going to play. Uh, on I I went into the studio and recorded one of my songs with a mic right on the plectone. So you can hear what that sound sounds like on a six-string guitar. And you'll notice a difference because it's a really wild sound. So I thought I'd play that right after this. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Robert. It's an absolute pleasure. Good luck with the plectone, and we will check in with you again soon once you guys are doing even more. Hi there, this is Brett Stewart. I'm in the studio uh, with a Plectone guitar pick and uh, my Martin guitar. I was going to perform one of my tunes, but then I decided to go uh, with an instrumental, uh, just a a random instrumental to highlight really the beauty you can pull out of a guitar with a really interesting pick like this. Enjoy. Enjoy. 